This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me in segments two and three of today's program is Dr. Robert McHugh. I describe Dr. McHugh as probably the hardest working market analyst that I know. I'm going to get Bob's forecast for stocks, for the U.S. dollar, for U.S. treasuries, and gold and silver. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. And I'm going to ask Bob also to explain what happened to stocks during the month of January. So I had a fascinating conversation with Bob this past week, and uh, that will be aired here in segments two and three. We have a brand new special report for the month of February. The report is titled, Stock Update is the Crash Here. If you'd like to get a copy of this report, as well as all of our special bonus material, all you have to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to mail you the report, as well as the bonus information. Uh, When you go to the website, requestyourreport.com, just give me your name. Let me know where I should mail the report, and I will certainly uh, get that out to you right away. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program, you know that I believe that what we are seeing now in stocks, in real estate, in bonds, in many, many asset classes is a bubble. Now, I want to talk to you in this segment about the anatomy of a bubble. Now, when you look at a price bubble on a chart, whether it is a bubble that took place in the Netherlands during tulip mania, whether it's the tech stock bubble or the real estate bubble of about a dozen years ago, bubbles, when you chart the price action, tend to be symmetrical. In other words, they take just about as long to unwind as they do to build, and they tend to end up about where they start. Now, that said, as as you go through that that, that chart action that I just described, there are five stages. The first stage to a bubble is displacement. The second stage is boom. The third stage is euphoria. The fourth stage is distress. And the fifth stage is panic. And in this segment, I want to walk you through those, those five stages of a bubble. Displacement, boom, euphoria, distress, and panic. And I'll start with displacement. Now, I get this information from an article that was based on a couple books, just to give credit where credit is due. Charles Kindleberger wrote a book called Panics, Manias, and Crashes, in which he analyzed bubbles. And another gentleman by the name of Hyman Minsky wrote a book called Stabilizing an Unstable Economy. And their work really validated the other person's work, and they talked about the fact that these bubbles do have five stages. So let's start with this displacement stage. Bubbles start with some sort of a shock to the system. So what could this shock be? What could this displacement be? Well, it could be the end of a war. It could be major political change. It could be deregulation, it could be a technological innovation, a financial innovation, or a shift in monetary policy. This displacement creates a new opportunity in at least one sector of the economy, 
For example, if you go back to the tech stock bubble, it was the widespread adoption of computers and the internet that started that bubble. That was the displacement event. Now, I would argue the displacement phase of the current bubble began with quantitative easing or currency creation. Now, after the financial crisis, the Federal Reserve dropped interest rates to zero. However, no money was created because there wasn't enough lending. So they started the temporary measure of creating currency three months after the collapse of Lehman. So that was the displacement event for this bubble, in my opinion. Now, the second stage of a bubble is the boom stage. Well, here you get optimism growing. You get a positive feedback loop as stock prices or commodity prices or real estate prices or maybe all of them increase. As this boom builds, borrowers become more willing to take on debt to buy these assets. Lenders are increasingly willing to make riskier loans. And I would argue that we have seen that happen since the financial crisis. If you're a longtime listener to the program, you know that worldwide debt has risen from $120 trillion to $300 trillion since the displacement stage, this displacement phase of this current bubble. Margin debt's way higher. Mortgage debt is way higher. Just about every other kind of debt is higher as well. Well, after the displacement stage and the boom stage, we move to the euphoria stage. Here we have what Alan Greenspan called irrational exuberance. We have reached, I believe, the euphoric stage last year. Stock valuations are at all-time highs. Real estate prices are at all-time highs. There are many stocks with huge market valuations that have never made a profit, and they have no hope of turning a profit. And as many of you know, if you've purchased real estate as recently as last year, many real estate deals had multiple offers with escalation clauses. Then you move to the distress stage. Now, at some point, you move from euphoria to distress because confidence begins to decline. Now, often this is because an event of an event, like a bankruptcy or a change in government policy or a piece of news or whatever the case may be. And it's maybe a bit too early to tell, but the Fed is threatening to change monetary policy. I believe this is more talk than it will be action. Interest rates are rising, inflation is real, and it's devastating many lower-income workers, so we're seeing confidence wane. And then finally, you get to the panic stage. And in the panic stage, one of the participants, one, uh, one of the conditions of the panic stage, one of the characteristics of the panic stage is that you see insiders begin to sell stock. Now, on a recent webinar that I do every Monday called the Headline Update webinar, I shared the number of insiders that have now begun to sell stock over the past six months, and that's been a large number. So I believe that we are in a bubble, that we are now moving from the euphoric stage to the distress stage, and I believe that we may be moving into the panic stage next. That will be bad news for stocks. That will be bad news for real estate, in my opinion. Now, in this month's 
free report, this free special report titled Stock Update is the Crash Here. I talk about all the things that make me believe this stock market is in a bubble. And I'd love to send you a copy of the report absolutely free. All you need to do to get your report as well as the bonus information is visit the website requestyourreport.com. Requestyourreport.com is the website. Let me know where to mail the report, and I'll be very glad to get it out to you. I'll be back after these words with Dr. Robert McHugh. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Dr. Bob McHugh. Uh, Dr. McHugh has the website technicalindicatorindex.com. He is perhaps the hardest working market analyst I know, producing a daily newsletter that I can only describe as voluminous, uh, lots of information in it. Uh, he also has a platinum uh, trading service that we will talk about um, a bit as well. And Bob, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks, Dennis. Really great to be here again. So, Bob, here we are. Um, about a week and a half ago, the Fed met. Um, they talked about the need to increase interest rates. They talked about uh, the fact that they need to now tighten. Uh, and they said they would do so at the appropriate time. And uh, from what I read and what I saw, there were no specific time frames mentioned. Uh, it's just that they're going to do it when they think it's right, and they're going to be humble and nimble about it. So what do you read into all this? Well, I think they got spooked in December when they saw the year-over-year fastest rate of growth in inflation year-over-year in 40 years in December, and I think they got spooked by that. They they had a a nice gig going where they would uh, print money at will and buy U.S. Treasury debt at will, buy mortgage debt at will, which was artificially lowering interest rates. And they were getting away with it for a while, but the inflation caught up to them. I mean, the balance sheet grew from two billion, I'm sorry, two trillion back after the Great Recession of uh, 2007, 8, 9 to 8.8 .8 trillion, and it, and it grew like four trillion in the last year and a half. So that's not they're not supposed to have a balance sheet like that. That's kind of uh, a, it's not it's not kosher. And uh, they went ahead and did that, uh, kind of playing the game of quantitative easing, and they got burned. They, they saw the inflation rate go up to 7% uh, year over year, uh, fastest growth in inflation in 40 years. So I think they just said, okay, we'd better at least give the impression to the markets that we're going to uh, tighten. We're going to um, hold back uh, the money supply and let interest rates rise a little bit. And, and let some of the money that we have on our balance sheet run off uh, to, to try to temper inflation. But I don't honestly believe that it's going to work. I don't believe they're really that serious. Um, and I think that the stock market dropping like crazy uh, in the last month, couple, or actually a couple months, will give them the fuel they need to delay their tightening to uh, make sure that they can continue with their monetization of debt. Well, Bob, I would tend to agree with that because it seems to me that if you were really serious about fighting inflation, that you would make an immediate policy change versus saying we're going to do it at some appropriate time. So, you know, this, this in your view, then, is just more, more talk than it is actually substance. Right. And, you know, we've seen a crash in three major stock indices in the last two months. 
the transportation average, Dow transportation average, has crashed 19.1%. Uh, the NASDAQ 100 technology sector has crashed 18.1%. And the small cap Russell 2000 has crashed 21%. All of these crashes from their November tops through the end of January. And that's fuel for the Fed to hold back on raising interest rates and hold back on, uh, you know, letting their shrinking their balance sheet. Uh, it it kind of gives them a, a little bit of room to continue the uh, the game they've been playing in the monetization of debt, which uh, has not been fruitful for our economy at all. It did pump the the stock market up a little bit for a while, but um, the real growth in that is wealth and income isn't that isn't there because cost of living so high. I mean, people are just barely breaking even. If you net the gains in the stock market with the cost of living increases, housing, cars, so on, people aren't really getting ahead. So, Bob, this gets into to your work, and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit more detail, but uh, those are big declines in, in the three indices that you mentioned. Um, how do you see stocks performing uh, through 2022? What's your forecast? I believe that they're going to continue to decline uh, with the occasional rally, corrective uh, rise in the market, which will retrace portions of the prior decline. But it'll be a stair step lower, like right now, the last week or so, we've seen the market up a little bit. And that's just to, uh, to ease off the selling pressure that was going on. It got a little oversold. And uh, once the market has worked off its oversold condition, it should continue down lower. And the reason I'm thinking this is because of the, the patterns that we study and we chart uh, are very bearish. These are incredibly bearish charts. The long-term charts and even the shorter-term charts are all warning that this is a new um, paradigm we're seeing, a paradigm shift in, in stocks that is just beginning. And uh, it, it's going to be a rough year. So, Bob, there's a lot of investors out there that, you know, think the Fed will come to the rescue. And, uh, you know, in, in 2018, when the Fed started to tighten, uh, markets uh, were, didn't quite react to, to this extent, to this extremely. But uh, certainly there was a, a, it was a tough year for investors. Do you think the Fed has the ability through currency creation to, you know, pump up another stock bubble? Or do you think that they've used up all their ammo? I think they're, they're using up their ammo because what they were getting away with before is they didn't see in hyperinflation. They didn't see hyper cost of living increase. So they could get away with monetization and printing money and, and, and funneling it into the stock market. But that game is over. They've been, they've been uh, called on the carpet. Uh, the the uh, cost of living and the inflation rate is, is like I said, the highest, fastest rate in 40 years, they cannot continue to monetize without inflation going further higher, you know, Lord knows how long, how high it could get. But the cost of living is going to be a, uh, a mitigating factor for what they can, they can monetize, I think. Well, if you're just joining me, we're chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. And Bob, for our listeners maybe that aren't familiar with your work, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, just a moment ago that uh, many of the charts that you're reviewing are extremely bearish. Uh, I think maybe you said a bearish across the board, although I don't want to put words in your mouth. So 
For our listeners maybe that aren't familiar with the kind of work you do and the types of charts that you're looking at, could you just give them a, a, a very simple 30,000-foot overview of your work? Oh, sure. Basically, it's a science uh, approach, approach to the studying the markets. It's a science that recognizes the behavior of people, the group psychology of people, and that, that all information all around the world by all people and their mood and their, and their thinking is all reflected in pricing in the stock market. And this reflection of their collective uh, information and mood is, uh, forms patterns in the stock prices. And you can actually identify patterns uh, that are um, been, been used for 100, 100, over 100 years now by different technical analysts that are predictive. And in essence, the stock market predicts itself. It tells us where it's going next based upon the patterns that it produces, based upon all the information and the mood and, and the behavior of people that set the prices of all markets. So it's, it's a very interesting uh, merger of uh, transactions with human psychology. And it's very predictive and it's very reliable and it's been so for many, many years. And uh, so that's what we do here. We, we interpret the patterns, explain what they mean, and give out uh, the forecast that the market actually is giving us through these, uh, this information and these patterns. So, Bob, tell me, uh, do you have a forecast for, for maybe where stocks go uh, at an ultimate bottom? Do, do you have a, a thought as to where we might end up? Yeah, I mean... Uh, we have long-term, short-term charts. Um, so short-term, um, over the next year, we could see the uh, the, the industrials, let's use that as a, a tool. Uh, yeah, they, they could be headed down another 15 20%, um, maybe even more, because the larger-term charts that we have are warning that, uh, you know, the, 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 the industrials could go down 60%, 50, 60, 70% over the next three or four years. But this year, for, for the time we see now, we're looking at probably another 20 to 30% decline in the stock market from where it sits today uh, throughout the rest of the year. So, Bob, you talk about a lot of different technical signals, and, and I'd like to maybe just touch on those. Um, on your website, technicalindicatorindex.com, uh, you note that the stock market has three official Hindenburg omens on the clock simultaneously, and you note that that's a dangerous warning for the stock market. So can you explain what is a Hindenburg omen and why is it so dangerous? Sure. A Hindenburg omen is a rare event where it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a situation where the stock market uh, is unstable. And whenever it's unstable, it's at risk of a large decline. And um, what it is is it basically evaluates the new highs and new lows of the New York Stock Exchange and compares that to the total issues uh, traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And an unhealthy market is where you see more than 2% of new highs and more than 2% of new lows simultaneously. Now, that may not seem like uh, anything, but when you study the, the history of, of that event, when they, we have simultaneous new highs and lows, 
it presents a situation where the market is very unstable. If there's a lot of new highs and not a lot of new lows, the market's in good shape because it's in a bull market. Things are going fine. When it has a lot of new lows and not a lot of new highs, it's also in pretty good shape because it means that a decline is, is continuing, it's, it's orderly, there's a bottom coming, and then it'll bounce off. But when you have new highs and new lows approximately the same, over 2% of, of, of issues traded, that, an, that instable condition is, a, is something that's been presented, that presented itself many, many times over the last 50 years, just before stock market crashes. And it's very unusual to have three on at the same time. And we have three on the same time. We've had three on the same time for the last month or so. It basically predicted the crashes that we just saw in January, these three H Hindenburg elements. Uh, you know, it's rare to see them. There, there's only been about maybe one every two years over the last 50 years. So when you get three at one time, it's a heads up, stand, stand, make you sit up straight in your chair, open up your eyes and pay attention. There's, there's trouble ahead. And that's exactly what happened. Well, Bob, at the time we have left uh, at the outset of this segment, uh, I mentioned that you have a platinum service as well as a silver service uh, to help people get some information on how to trade. Can you explain a little bit about that work? Sure. I mean, what we do is we present what we're doing for ourselves uh, in, uh, in trading options on the major uh, stock indices using the ETFs to track the major stock indices, or we have, that's the Platinum program. We also have a trading service where we show what we're doing, trading uh, exchange-traded funds on the major stock indices. And also, they, we, we trade gold, silver, and uh, mining stocks as well with the programs. And it's an educational service in the sense that people can learn through it, and, and hopefully they, they can apply that to their own financial uh, trading uh, platform and, and make some money using our information. And uh, we've had a very successful history on it since 2011. We've had about 85% winners on closed trades, uh, which is pretty nice. And uh, we're to the good about almost a million dollars over that period of time. And in the last year, we've, we've done pretty well. We've made about 300000 over the last two years trading the market with options and ETFs. And again, it's, it's a way to fight inflation. It's a way to create an additional income stream. If somebody's lost their job, they're retired, or the cost of living's going up, they're frustrated that they can't get, they're not making enough in their wages. It's a way to try to get independent of your employer or, or whoever you know, your income source comes from and add an additional income source. We, we, we uh, try to make sure that we make the point that people be very uh, uh, careful and not over-invest, that they keep their risk, dollars at risk at a very low amount. And uh, like I said, it's educational. We explain a lot with it, and people can hopefully use it to, uh, to help their own income streams. All right. Well, the clock tells me we're going to have to leave it there, but I will return after these words with my special guest, Dr. Robert McHugh. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I'm chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh. If you're just joining us, I would encourage you to check out uh, Dr. McHugh's work at the website technicalindicatorindex.com. That's technicalindicatorindex.com. 
And uh, Bob, let's just jump in again and, and, and talk about stocks and maybe kind of pick up where we left off. You had mentioned using the uh, Dow Jones Industrials as an example that you thought we could see a 20 to 30 percent further decline this year, uh, you know, with a larger decline over the long term. Um, what do you see for U.S. Treasuries, which are, are typically a, a safe haven when stocks decline? Well, I, I feel that the long-term uh, Treasury rate will be low, and the and Treasury bonds, uh, the pricing will rise. Uh, because as we go deeper into a cataclysmic stock market decline and economic recession slash possibly depression, that's just starting now, uh, Treasuries are going to be a safe haven that's going to be drawing money because people will be pulling their money out of uh, the market, the stock market, and our charts are showing uh, long-term bullish trends for Treasuries. Although right now, of course, we're in a short-term uh, decline, uh, which means a short-term rise in Treasury rates. Uh, I think that's going to reverse fairly soon, actually, as the stock market continues to drop, and we'll start seeing interest rates uh, drop and and uh, bond prices and Treasury prices rise. So, Bob, given the, the state of uh, U.S. government finances this past week, uh, I think uh, the official U.S. government debt just surpassed $30 trillion for the first time. There has to be um, a lot of people listening to your forecast for you know, U.S. Treasuries being bullish that, that might say, well, wait a minute, how can that be with a, with a debt level that's so high it cannot ever possibly be paid? Uh, how do you square that up? Manipulation by the Federal Reserve. They buy the government debt. <clears throat> we had just hit $30 trillion of Treasury debt uh, the other day, they announced. And um, there's a hyperinflation that comes with that. And the uh, only way for the federal deficit or federal debts to be re reduced is to hyperinflate the economy. And in order to hyperinflate the economy without causing higher interest rates, the Federal Reserve has to buy the debt from the government. And so, while the balance sheet at $8.8 .8 right now at the Fed, and they said they're going to start letting it run off, ultimately, as these events unfold, a falling stock market, hyperinflation, um, they're going to, in order, they're going to have to keep interest rates low because the federal debt has to be refinanced with interest rates that they have to pay, and they're not going to pay 18% interest on Treasury debt. So the Fed will buy the debt. Fed, Fed will buy the debt, monetize the debt, push money into the economy, which will hyperinflate the economy, which will reduce the real uh, that real uh, impact of debt because the dollars become less valuable. The, the instrument here that gets killed is the big U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar will be the uh, valve that explodes uh, and it's going to drop. The dollar has to drop through this scenario. And I think that's what the charts are showing here. And I think that's what we'll see as the, uh, as what blows, blows uh, the pressure valve will be the, be the dollar. You know, Bob, I read an article this past week that the uh, Central Bank of Russia now has more reserves in gold than in U.S. dollars for the first time in history. Do you see, as the dollar fades and, and becomes even more less desirable than it is now, do you see gold and silver becoming 
currency again? Do you see that they're going to be used in commerce and trade, or how do you think that plays out? Well, I, I'm looking at the pattern here in gold, which is extremely bullish. Um, we're tied up right now in a trading range for gold and silver, too. Silver will follow gold, and so will the mining stocks. But we're, we're in a trading range in gold and what I call a handle of a cup-and-handle pattern that has been in place since 2012. The big pattern is a long-term pattern. The handle's been in place since 2020, and it's, 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 it's stuck in a trading range. But once gold can rise above the upper boundary of this handle, of this pattern, it's going to lie higher. And gold will respond to the hyperinflation that's coming with substantially higher prices, over 3,000, maybe up to four or 5,000 in gold. I see that over the coming years. As, as the long-term drop in stocks occurs, as the long-term rise in, in, in treasury prices rise, as the dollar declines, gold is going to fly high to deal with all this hyperinflation and, um, and the stock market plunge. And will it be currency? Hard to say because it's, it's just impractical to transact with, but it certainly is a good hedge for, um, for the inflation. And it also is uh, important for when things start looking chaotic, people tend to turn to it for stability and security. So, yeah, I think it's going higher. So, Bob, really what you're you're describing here, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're describing a devaluation of the dollar, so that really translates to more inflation, and you're also seeing stock prices probably decline. I mean, that's really the, the worst of those two worlds, isn't it? Is, is that what's really what you're forecasting? Yes, that is what I'm forecasting. You know, I think we have a shot at falling into a very serious recession possibly even an economic depression, which I think is starting right now, actually, um, because of these dangerous events that are going to unfold here in the market. So, Bob, with uh, gold and silver uh, moving higher, uh, talk a little bit about gold and silver and their performance as it relates to mining shares and, and give us your opinion as to uh, where people should probably look to, to, to play this bull market you're forecasting. Well, there's exchange-traded funds that people, if they don't want to handle gold itself, you can you can use them to try to play uh, them to rally. Um, mining stocks are a hybrid between a stock operating company and also um, uh, metals under the ground. So um, mining stocks may not track gold dollar for dollar, moment by moment, minute by minute, but ultimately I'm looking at a chart for mining stocks that is also going to be very bullish. The uh, importance of the metals that they bring up under the ground will outweigh the fact that they're a stock in an operating company and they'll have the challenges that other stocks do. And so I think that they're going higher eventually. And they're in a correction as well. Like I said, the goal was in a handle correction in this cup and handle pattern. The mining stocks are also in a corrective phase right now, um, which soon should be ending. And then they can resume a pretty strong upward rally. Uh, to follow gold along the way. So, Bob, we we talked about the the dollar and uh, the fact that you're forecasting, you know, significant devaluation will continue moving ahead. As you look around the world at other fiat currencies, do, do you see any safe havens, or are you pretty much just uh, recommending gold and silver as a safe haven? 
Yeah, I'm not really uh, looking at other currencies because I've noticed, like, the Australian dollar, they're, they're deflating that. Um, you know, we track some of these dollars, other currencies in our international newsletter that we report once a week. And, um, you know, the euro is, is, uh, is, is going to op- operate probably opposite of what the dollar is to some degree. But when they're faced with the same situation we are here, they're probably going to devalue that as well. So I, I am not interested in playing the currency game one country versus another. I would not do that personally. I mean, but um, I would rather look at something that's completely opposite of man-made, man-manipulated, government-manipulated paper and look at something more like gold as a hedge or, like I said, I, one of the reasons I did this trading program is that's a hedge. I'm trying to play the ups and downs and, and make money that way as a hedge to, to make, take advantage. I mean, you, you, if the market goes down, you can make money if it goes down by playing the market to go down with the ETFs or appropriate ETFs or options. So um, I'm not, I would not recommend one currency over another. Does that mean that they will work opposite of each other? Sure, they could. One nation may have a different backing of their currency than another does. Maybe one's backing theirs up with gold and another's not. But uh, I would not play that game too much myself. Well, Bob, this may go a little bit outside uh, the work you do. And uh, I didn't warn you that I was going to ask this question, but what's your take, what's your opinion on on cryptos, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others? Uh, They certainly had a a rough go of it of late. Um, Do you think these ultimately provide an alternative to world fiat currencies? You know, I I know I get a lot of people angry when I give my answer to that because I think especially um, there's a group of people that like new, they like technology, you know, and they believe in it. And I, I at this moment, at the evolution that it's in, I see it as a collectible. I see it as something like art or, uh, you know, a car, an antique car. It's a collectible. And uh, I don't understand it. And I don't think anybody does. Where did it come from? Who's, who's, who created it? Who's adding more? Who's not? Who's regulating it? What can you do with it? It's not really a means of exchange. Um, I can't go to the store with it. Uh, so at this phase of its development, to me, it's a collectible. And it's at some point, does that evolve into a new currency of some type? Possibly. But I, at this point, I know that the SEC has, is not happy with it. There are certain, certain federal agencies, government agencies, that are not happy with it. And so without the government support, I'm not sure what kind of a life it can create for itself at this stage of the game. So at this point, I just say it's a collectible. I stay away from it. Because in a collectible, how do you tell what's going up or what's going down and when? To me, that's how I look at it. So I I stay away from it. Well, my guest today has been Dr. Robert McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. That, once again, is technicalindicatorindex.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. And, Bob, always a pleasure to catch up with you. I'd love to have you back down the road and certainly appreciate your perspective. Thank you, Dennis. I really enjoyed being on your show, and I appreciate you as well. Well, thank you very much. We will return after these words. Welcome back. This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to Dr. Robert McHugh for joining us on today's program and offering his perspective and forecast for many different markets. 
You know, as I chatted with Dr. McHugh in the last couple of segments, we talked a bit about what the Fed said after its last meeting. Perhaps more importantly, as I'll talk about in this segment, is what they didn't say. You know, it's fair to say, what did they really say? Because when you look at what Mr. Powell said, he said, at, this is a quote from Mr. Powell after the last meeting, at this time, we haven't made any decisions about the path of policy. I stress again that we'll be humble and nimble. Listen to that. This is a quote from Mr. Powell. At this time, we haven't made any decisions about the path of policy. I stress again that we'll be humble and nimble. The Fed didn't really say when they would start to increase interest rates and when they would end or slow its quantitative easing or currency creation program. However, many market participants were betting on March. Now, here's what I find very curious. I find it curious that despite record inflation, the highest inflation, as I talked about with Dr. McHugh in the last 40 years, that the Fed has opted to wait up to a couple months before taking any action. It seems that if inflation is an immediate problem, and it is, and it's accelerating, that if your goal was to get inflation under control, you want, would want to take action as soon as you could to start to subdue inflation. If you're a farmer and the barn is on fire, you don't wait two months to get the hose. And while that might be an extreme analogy, that's essentially what the Fed said. Now, Michael Mahari wrote an article, and the headline of the article really lets you know what his opinion is. Fed's still pouring gas on inflation fire. What happens when it tries to stop? Mr. Mahari makes the same point that I do. If you really want to attack inflation, why wait? Now, this is from Mr. Mahari's article. He said the Federal Reserve wrapped up its first Federal Open Market Committee meeting of the year yesterday without any real surprises. Despite everybody screaming about an inflation problem, the Fed will keep its loose inflationary monetary policy in play for at least two more months. So interest rates remain locked at zero, but the Federal Open Market Committee said it will likely raise rates soon. Here's what they said, quote, With inflation well above 2% and a strong labor market, the committee expects it will soon be appropriate to raise the target range for the federal funds rate. Now, soon is a vague term. Soon can be interpreted a number of different ways, but I, as I said at the outset of this segment, many market analysts expect this soon will be at the March meeting. Now, Powell, after saying they haven't made any decisions about the path of the policy, only that they're going to be humble and nimble, and that they'll likely need to raise rates soon, said that the Fed would be data-dependent. And that is a quote. 
Well, it seems to me the data is in. We've got the highest inflation in 40 years. So if the Fed was really serious about getting inflation under control, again, I make the point, wouldn't they be taking action now? The Fed left interest rates at zero and is continuing with its quantitative easing program, only stating that they will end it at the appropriate time. Now, the Federal Open Market Committee did offer some details on how they would significantly reduce the Fed's massive balance sheet. Now, the Fed's balance sheet grows because the Fed creates currency and uses that newly created currency to go buy mortgage-backed securities and government securities from its member banks. So the central bank said that the plan was to reduce the balance sheet primarily by limiting how much principal it rolls over from maturing bonds. But the committee did not set a specific date for the beginning of quantitative tightening, nor did it offer any hint on how much it would ultimately pare down from its nearly $9 trillion balance sheet. As I talked about with Dr. McHugh, the Fed's balance sheet is $8.8 trillion. Powell only said that this would happen at, quote, the appropriate time. But he did not give a specific timeline, and he said that they hadn't discussed, the committee being hadn't discussed it. Now, if you go back to the last time the Fed attempted to do this, the last time they attempted to double tighten, reduce their balance sheet, and raise interest rates was in 2018. I talked about this with Dr. McHugh. The central bank reversed course when the stock market tanked. The stock market according to the research I've done, just experienced its worst January since 1939. So the question is, will the Fed raise interest rates? Will the Fed continue to tighten? I've said many times on the program that I don't believe they can, and I believe any tightening will be more form than it will be substance. By the end of 2019, to finish the story, the Fed had gone back to quantitative easing, and it seems unlikely that the Fed will be able to double tighten again without the stock market reacting the same way again. In fact, the stock market is already acting jittery, even though the Fed hasn't started this program. They're only talking about it. So the bottom line is this. I expect inflation will have to continue to accelerate because the Fed policy is going to remain unchanged for the near future. I believe that stocks are in a bubble, as I talked about during the first segment, and I believe that uh, current conditions dictate that you probably can't plan for retirement the traditional way. So I'd like to invite you to get some resources. If you'd like to get our February special report titled Stock Update is the Crash Here, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to send that to you along with some additional resources that will give you some strategies to consider in the current environment to plan to hopefully help you achieve your dream of a comfortable, stress-free retirement. So again, to get all the free resources, just go to requestyourreport.com. Let us know where to mail uh, the report, and 
the box of stuff that you'll get. We'll be very glad to send it to you. Again, requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use, and I will be back again next week.